Hey there, you're listening to Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide. It's a podcast where we talk about life, music, and spirituality. As we get into this, I just want you to know that it's not about getting you to believe what I believe. It's about asking you to ask yourself why you believe what you believe. Hey guys, it's time for part number three in the Nostalgia series. I'm going to go ahead and kind of go out of order on what I was planning on doing. And also, I'm going to release uh, this episode, today's episode, uh, a few days earlier. Because today, I don't know when you're listening to this, but right now it is April the 19th, 2019. The 24-year mark of the Oklahoma City Federal Building bombing. And I'm from the Oklahoma City area. I'm from a town half an hour south of Oklahoma City called Norman. A lot of people that I went to school with, a lot of people that I knew growing up, were posting their stories today on Facebook about where they were when they heard the news about this. And so I thought I would, since I'm doing nostalgia on the 80s and 90s, and nostalgia is not always something you look back on with favor or you look back on as a as a good memory. It's just a memory. You look back on it and you're holding on to a feeling that you had when an event took place. So obviously this is a super negative emotive state that people are recalling when going back to this time in the mid nineties in 95, I was 20 years old and my story is a little bit different. I mean, I was there, I was in Oklahoma. I was in Norman. Like I said, just 30 minutes south of Oklahoma City. There are other people who were in my area who said they felt the blast or heard it or something along those nature. I did not. My days at that point in place looked something like this. I had just opened up my men's clothing consignment store called Eric's Resale. It had been open for seven days at the time of the bombing. So going into... Yeah, one one week of being of being open. That means for several weeks leading up to it, I was putting in fifteen hours a day painting and putting down carpet and putting the, the inventory in and just getting my bank accounts set up and getting everything I needed to do. And then once I opened, I was the only guy. I had I eventually got a couple of other employees. But that first week, I mean we opened at ten AM, closed at six PM six days a week, except Thursdays, we were open till 8 PM. And so I was all day long just working. And my days started around five, five thirty. I got up, went to the gym, spent an hour, hour and a half at the gym, took a shower, went and had an egg white omelet. And then, cause I actually used to be in shape. I mean, you can find pictures of me on Instagram and Facebook now and go like, Ooh, this is not a guy who spends that much time at the gym. Uh, to borrow a joke from Chandler being on Friends, I try to go three times a week, but I've missed the last 1,100 times. So that was my life. I would get there, and then I would open up my store. Um, I'd clean everything up, vacuum, clean up, unlock at 10 o'clock, work all day, lock up at 6, do my paperwork, vacuum, get everything ready for the next day, go home, eat dinner, go to bed. That was pretty much my life. So for weeks, I wasn't watching television. Uh, I would try to catch Friends and ER on Thursday nights if I could. Um, sometimes I would set my VCR and record it on a video cassette tape because mid-90s. So I, would, I was watching. Those are the only shows I watched at all. 
So I wasn't getting radio. I wasn't getting news. So that morning, I my mom owned a store down the street uh, called Cindy's Resale because we were super creative with how we named our businesses. Um, her name is Cindy. My name is Eric. So Cindy's Resale and Eric's Resale. Um, I wish I was more creative, to be honest. Anyhow, parked behind her store, walked through the store, and one of her employees, and this was probably five or 10 after nine. So it had just happened because the bomb went off at nine Oh two AM on Wednesday. And so I'm walking through the store and one of the employees of my mom's, Hey, said, Hey, did you hear about that bomb that went off in Oklahoma city? And I was like, no, I didn't hear about a bomb that went off. I filled in the blanks in my mind that a bomb would be something you watch movies, you know, a car bomb or, you know, a little block of C4 in a parking garage. You know, I knew it was big, but I had no idea the magnitude of what had happened. It didn't even dawn on me that it could be something like what actually happened. So my mind didn't go there at all. So oh, there's my kid screaming in the background. Um, my mind didn't go there at all. So I walked down to my store. I opened it up. People came in and that day, you know, a handful of people said, Hey man, did you hear about that bomb that went off in Oklahoma city? And I'm like, yeah, crazy. Right. But I had no details. I had no idea what had happened. Went home, didn't watch TV, went to bed, got up, did my day again. And I go to the gym. I put headphones in. I don't talk to people, man. I'm not a people person now. I wasn't a people person then. It was my time. So headphones in, take a shower, go to work, open it up. Same thing. Hey, did you hear about that bomb that went off? Yeah, man, I heard about that. After two or three days of this, I began to realize it had to be bigger than what I was initially thinking, but I still had no idea what actually happened. It was a week later before I had turned on the TV and saw any footage of what had happened. And it blew my mind. I mean, it was, it was devastating. I had a friend of mine from church who was a paramedic and he was one of the first guys on the scene. And man, he had to have long-term counseling based on just what he witnessed and experienced as an ambulance, as a paramedic. My mind couldn't conceive of something like that. Something like that changes the the chemical presence in your brain. Because now, if someone says bomb, obviously I'm thinking something big. If someone says terrorist attack, you think somewhere between this and 9-11. We've been rewired as a society because of assholes like Timothy McVeigh. We, we've been rewired because people are capable of evil that we did not conceive of before. And that's what happened here. 168 people died. Over 600 other people were injured. And to remember, when we memorialize this, what we're remembering is, yes, we can come together. We can do better. We can be better. But we also remember that evil shit exists, that there is evil in the world, but that comes from 
otherwise normal human people. Someone went through their life and was still had a childhood, had parents, had uh, love and lost, and still, and most of us go through that and come out without that kind of evil. We're all capable of being assholes, obviously. We're all capable of doing things that are incredibly selfish, obviously. But this, this was something I never even dreamed possible. But now, I know it's possible. And it just makes me sad. It makes me sad that people are capable of this, I guess. I mean, literally right now, I just flipped on my microphone and started talking. I didn't sketch out any notes. Most of my thoughts, most of my podcasts are at least somewhat outlined. And today I'm like, I just wanted to talk about this. I didn't even know where I was going to go with it. I just, I remembered my story, but what kind of emotions it was going to bring up, I really wasn't prepared for. We live in a world that's, I mean, now we're completely rewired. Like I said, after 9-11, especially on a national scale, I, I mean, there's a TSA now. I mean, <laughs> there's, you know, going to an airport is different. And now there are things that are just, they're tragic things that just keep on happening. Sandy Hook Elementary, um, Columbine, all of these, you know, mass shootings and all of these terrorist attacks and these long drawn out wars we've been a part of all as a result of misfirings in somebody's brain. The fact that we can't get along with others, they can't get along with us. People think, well, this is right and that is wrong and we're going to instill our rightness upon them. And they're thinking they're going to instill their rightness upon us. I don't know, man. I do know that even though people have a great capacity for evil, we also have a great capacity for good. That we can change the world in positive ways. Changing something for the negative seems to be easier. It seems to be something like a big explosive event is is devastating. And to change things for the positive takes groups of people in a concerted effort to make small changes over time. And that's what we got to continue to do. Now, people rallied after the Oklahoma City federal building bombing. People rallied after 9-11. People came together. But it's got to be more than nationalism. It has to be more than patriotism. It has to be we're human beings. And even those who hurt us are human beings. Not only is today the 24-year anniversary of a horrible tragedy, but it's also Good Friday closing out Holy Week, and we're in this, people in my faith background are using these days to reflect 
on Christ and the sacrifice that Christ made for humanity. And when Jesus said, love your enemies, man, he wasn't talking about people who wrong you at work. He was, but it goes deeper than that. I mean, it's love the terrorists, love the racists, love the people on the other side of the political aisle, love people with whom you can't actually in your mind find anything lovable about, but they're still human beings. Turning the other cheek sometimes means you're going to get the shit kicked out of you again. I've seen too many people, though, who claim to be faith-filled people, spiritual people, believers, Christian people, just be the first ones to pick up rocks and start throwing them. It's time for that to stop. It's time to say, you know what? Here's the other cheek right here. It doesn't mean we don't try to change things. It doesn't mean we don't try to make the best of bad situations. But we don't respond with violence of our own. Anyway, it's going to be hard to go into uh, the musical portion of this podcast coming out of something like this. So I'm at least going to... It's not going to seem like a break to you because (laughs) I'm going to stop and hit pause and then I'll come back and record the other part. So there'll be a break for me, but it's going to seem to you like I'm going right into something happy from this. So sorry, sorry. Well, I've had time to compose myself, so I don't know how you're feeling right about now. But I'm going to go ahead and give you my top five rhythm guitar players from the 80s and 90s. I've been counting them down. uh, Drummers, bass players, rhythm guitar players. Next week I'll go lead guitar players and then we'll finish up with the lead singers. The front men and women of my favorite bands of the 80s and 90s. These aren't necessarily who I think are the most talented. But the ones who influenced me the most. The ones who sound... Uh, I don't know. I just, I just love their sounds. So these are it for me. I'm starting number five, going from five to one. And I'm not going to belabor the point, not going to stay on these for like just a ton of time, but I will attach at least one YouTube clip video to each guitar player. So you can see what I'm talking about when you click down below, helps you waste a little bit more of your day because nothing beats a YouTube black hole when you're needing to try to cheer yourself up. Number five, rhythm guitar player, The Edge from U2. I think there are more talented guitar players, but very few have been able to manage to make as unique of a sound. And, I mean, he is the sound of U2. That slapback delay that he uses, the reverb that he uses. I mean, he's really creative with the use of technology in his guitar playing without it sounding like it's computers. It's good guitar playing and it's well-written songs. He's a good guitar player and he's number five on my list of rhythm guitar players. Now in my mind, rhythm guitar players are the people who care, who hold down the riffs. Uh, they play, they're either strumming or they're playing a riff. 
the lead guitar player is the guys that kind of shred, play solos. Um, so, yeah, so that that's how I uh, justify my line of demarcation here between rhythm and lead. The Edge is the only guitar player in U2. So he plays both rhythm and lead. And a couple of guys on this list do that. Like number four on my list of rhythm guitar players could be on the list of lead guitar players as well, because he's one of my favorite guitar players, period, in the 80s and 90s, and that's Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. The reason I put him on the rhythm side of it instead of on the lead side is because both both bands that he was a part of, I mean, he's been a part of a lot of other bands, actually, all three of the guys, uh, all three of the musicians, are, are uh, they've played together a lot. But in Rage Against the Machine and in Audio Slave, the songs are really based on these riffs that he puts in. I mean, he has these amazing uh, solos that he's using, like the Digitech whammy pedal. Um, he's like doing these dive bombs with the, the whammy bar, using that wah pedal, making these really unique things happen as a lead guitar player. And he has the technical skills to be a shredder, but... The riffs, those heavy, hard-driving riffs, um, again, Rage Against the Machine makes my head move, my body move the way ACDC does. And there's this something so intentional about that. Okay, now the next three guys were all rhythm guitar players in bands that also had lead guitar players, people who took care of the solos. Number three is Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam. Obviously, I will attach Pearl Jam's one of my all-time favorite bands. They were, in the 90s, they were like a throwback classic rock band that were still kind of new grunge, but they were part of that death of the hair metal scene with Nirvana and, and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. They were just huge. And their first record, 10 was one of my all-time favorite albums. Matter of fact, when I used to, I don't do this anymore, but I used to actually get high quite often, and 10 was the album that we would do that to. Just kind of sit there in, in the room and pass it around listening to Eddie Vedder and the boys play some songs. So, yeah, Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam. Number two on my list of rhythm guitar players is Izzy Stradlin from Guns N' Roses. Now, Slash gets all the love, and Slash is a wonderful guitar player. Slash has got that tone, that, you know, that, that Les Paul through a Marshall tone. Whereas um, Izzy kind of has that Malcolm Young, who may be the best rhythm guitar player ever, sound. He just carried... He was so underrated. He carried a lot of the Guns N' Roses song. I mean, those open chords, those things that were happening while Slash played uh, solos. I mean, both Slash and Axl Rose had these huge personalities. So nobody else in the band was as well known by name. But Izzy Stradlin, uh, without, without his tone, without his sound, without his riffs, Guns N' Roses... I don't think they would have been nearly as successful as they were. The number one rhythm guitar player on my list, even though they weren't my favorite band, but they're up there, 
is James Hetfield from Metallica. The guy had the most active right hand in in any guitar player I've ever seen. And, well, I mean, for a right-handed guitar player, that means the one you strum with. Uh, you fret, you uh, you know, hold down the strings with your left hand, and you just you know go crazy with that right hand on the strings. And, you know, when you solo, when you're playing leads, you know, it's like your left hand is kind of what's more important because you're doing hammer-ons and pull-offs and you're, and you're picking strings, obviously, with your left hand. But when you're playing rhythm, it's all about, it's all about that left hand. You can, and the, and the fact that he can play those riffs and sing at the same time are pretty amazing because I don't think I can play those riffs. I mean, they're so fast, they're so aggressive, and they're so precise. He's not just hitting a power chord and just letting it ring out. I mean, he is really, really, really talented. Metallica is a really good band. They're not just a really good heavy metal band. They're a really good group of musicians with something to say. The lyrics are deep. The musicians are talented. Everything about that band is something that, you know, makes me happy. I like Metallica. There, I said it. Um, hold on just one second. You guys want to watch Tiny Toons? Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, okay, it is screen time, so go ahead and watch some Tiny Toons. I'm going to leave that in. So those are my top five guitar players, The Edge, Tom Morello, Stone Gossard, Izzy Stradlin, and James Hetfield. And Zeke and Titus are going to watch Tiny Tunes now. So with that, remember, don't be an asshole. Be kind to somebody. Treat others the way they want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Love God, love people, and don't be an asshole, and all that wonderful stuff. Until next time. Latest. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Remember, you can go to patron.podbean.com forward slash Eric Tomier to support this podcast on an ongoing monthly basis or give a one time gift. Anything will help. Um, really looking forward to some things that are coming up. I got two more in this nostalgia series and then an interview with Wendy Wang, who is. One of my former students from USC Chi Alpha, who's now a documentary filmmaker. And we talked about her new movie, upcoming movie called Things I Never Said, dealing with mental health. Super excited about that. So uh, stay tuned. All right.